Welcome to the Novice No Longer Podcast, episode 22. Coming up, do you know why you should have started your own website yesterday? You didn't, but it's not too late to start right now. Even if you don't think you need a website, I'm going to tell you why you absolutely do. This episode is a little bit different than what we have done in the past because it is just going to be me talking. I don't have a guest and I'm actually doing this because last episode I got so much feedback about my story and kind of how I fell into journalism and how I got that job from a background in uh, retail that I'm going to tell my story and tell you a little bit about why it's so important to have your own website, how to set up your own website, what you should be doing with that website, and all of that amazing stuff surrounding that. But before I get into that, I want to tell you a little bit about this website's or this podcast and website, I guess, because this knob is no longer as well, our sponsor. And that is Planet 11. And this isn't just an ordinary sponsor. It's not like a random company that reached out to me. This is my own personal developer who is actually right now working diligently, working on my fourth application that I made with a friend of mine that I will tell you all about soon. But he's coding it right now, and he's done work for plenty of listeners before, which is awesome. And he also wants to code your app as well. You can go to planet1107.net slash NNL, NNL is for novice no longer as you all know and just get a free quote he'll tell you how much it costs you don't need to do the wireframes you don't need to do mock-ups if you have them it's great it'll save time but you can just send him an email and just kind of get an idea of what you're doing you know see what kind of technology you need because you, you probably have some questions if you've never made one before so can't hurt that's what i did and that's how i got my first apps made so planet1107.net slash nnl and they're definitely going to help you out All right. So like I said, this podcast is going to be a little bit different. It is not an interview. It is an interview with myself. It is storytelling. It is all that fun stuff. This is just the intro. You still hear the music. You know how it all works. So I'm I'm not going to ramble on too much here. I'm just going to get right into it. There's a ton of great information right here. And like I said, a lot of you got back to me and you were inspired to start your own website. And that is great. And I'm going to tell you exactly my full story, the, the unabridged version, as well as what you should be doing with that website. Enjoy. Dan, welcome to the show, is what I would usually say if I was introducing a guest myself, but I am not. As you know, it's just me, so I'm just going to jump right in, and I'm kind of going to break this podcast into three separate steps and three separate sections. The very first part, I'm going to talk more about my background, and not just about my background, but how people can also kind of replicate what I did to get where I got. Now, I'm not saying that everybody can do it, but I do think that it is a process that can be repeated. And so I definitely want to share that with you. So first, I'm going to start with my background. Then I'm going to get into how to start your own blog, kind of like what the steps you need. Because when I first started making my own website, I kind of had to look all this stuff up. I didn't even know where to start. I kind of just made it up as I went along. So I'm going to give you some guidance out of how to get your own domain name, get hosting, what that even means and how to uh, like set up what you want to do in terms of like WordPress. You might have heard before. I'm going to go into that. And then in the last section, I'm going to tell you about what type of content you should be producing because especially if you're not a writer, it can be like, okay, well, why would I have a website? I'm not writing. I'm not doing anything. Or if you are a writer, like you might not want to share certain things. You might not even have a focus. And I'm going to go into what I think you should be doing to maximize your chances of success. All right. So let's just get started. I'm going to talk a little bit about my background. I went to college in New York, and I actually graduated with a degree in creative writing. So I studied English. Uh, I did their honors college there, which I just kind of found my way into it. And I did writing just because it was easy. I, I didn't know really what I wanted to do. And I took these English classes, and I was like, hey, I can write creative stories. And so I ended up 
doing that all the way through college. And then senior year, I ended up to make ends meet, getting a job in the mall, selling clothing. I was working at a store called French Connection, selling clothing. And then when I graduated, I I, I didn't do any internships during college. I didn't actually look for any jobs. I just kind of, after I graduated, took full time at French Connection. And I just continued going on through retail. Um, and I continued on through retail for a while. After French Connection, I went into, uh, I was at Hugo Boss for a little bit. Uh, and I also spent, and my latest stint uh, in retail was actually at a piercing and tattoo studio. So I, I wasn't doing any piercing or tattooing. I was just working the counter, but I was there for a good two or three years. And so that's kind of my background. I had creative writing, English, nothing tech related, nothing anything like that, nothing writing related, no journalism. It was just creative writing. Uh, and then retail, and that was piercing and tattoos. And so, so that's what I was kind of doing professionally. Uh, during that time, during retail, I actually kind of got interested in websites a little bit, but but not seriously. And like I said, this is well after I graduated, so it wasn't like I had things figured out early at all. At all. But I saw stickers everywhere I went in New York City. And you kind of look around and you kind of see people just plastering stickers everywhere. And I always wondered about those people. And I thought that it was hilarious just to have like random stickers. So what I ended up doing is having uh, a friend of mine uh, who writes, uh, he's an artist, illustrator, who has uh, a zine called Cinema Sewer. Uh, Robin Boogie, he's absolutely amazing. I'm going to link to him in the show notes. You should definitely check it out, especially if you enjoy cult cinema. So I reached out to him and I was like, hey, I want you to draw a picture of my face. And he was like, yes, I will draw a picture of your face. So I took that picture of my face and I put it on a vinyl sticker that I got from stickerguy.com. And at the very bottom, I put a single word and that single word was moist. I did that just because I thought it was hilarious that it would be a picture of me that nobody would recognize and a random word. And I started sticking those up all over New York City. And this is how I spent my time while I was working retail. And then... Once those ran out, I was like, okay, I want to kind of get this sticker again, but I I wanted to say something else besides moist. And at that time, I was kind of like, maybe I can tie this into the web. So I ended up going and buying the domain name IamDan.com. And you can still see it. It's still up. It's my old blog, 2Ns, IamDan.com. And so I got the the sticker printed. I had IamDan.com at the bottom. And... For the website, if you went there, it was just the picture of my face on there. And that was it. It wasn't any sort of contact information. There was nothing tying it back to me. I think I even like used the default privacy setting. So if somebody like tried to view the Whois record, they wouldn't even be able to trace it back to me. And that was it. And I thought that was hilarious. I, I thought it was really funny. I was like, somebody's going to see this sticker, see a random face in a website and be like, oh, I wonder what this is. And they go to the website and they just see that same face again. And this is how I amused myself. But after a while, and when I say a while, this was maybe like, I had that up for maybe a year, a year and a half or so. And I, I kind of didn't, I didn't want to do anything because I didn't want to like, put myself out there and like have anything fail. I didn't want to make a website and I was kind of, I just, it was more joking stuff, but I I decided to uh, install a WordPress blog just to kind of play around with it a little bit. I think at that time I had just gotten a Tumblr blog and I was just kind of like reblogging pictures and seeing how there was a community there. And I was wondering like, what were the possibilities online? Like you have these sort certain different blogs that are around and they, they host your website. Like I had a live journal when I was in high school, but I knew that things were much bigger now and grander. And especially with my own domain name, there's a lot of things that I could do. I just didn't know what any of them were. So I decided to install a website. And like I said, I decided to go with WordPress just because WordPress is the biggest blogging platform out there. Now, you've probably heard WordPress before, and if you're not familiar with it, it might be a little confusing because there are two separate components 
to WordPress. There is WordPress.com and WordPress.org, and there is a very big difference between them. If you go to WordPress.com, what it's going to do is allow you to create a blog similar to the way that Tumblr would allow you to create a blog, which means that WordPress is hosting your blog. You don't need to buy your own domain name. You don't need to buy hosting. You don't need any of that. WordPress is providing that. Just like if you go to Tumblr, Tumblr is providing your hosting. Now, just like anything, you can use a custom domain and like point it to something else, but that's a little bit more complicated. You don't need to worry about that. Basically, for WordPress.com, they are hosting your website. They have it on their servers. For WordPress.org, that is the entire blog platform that they give to you for free that you put on your hosting servers. So if you're using WordPress.org, you actually have to get your own domain name. You have to get your own hosting, which are two separate things. I'll get into that. And then you have to install WordPress, which is actually pretty easy. And I'll tell you how to do that too. But that's the main difference. So if you go to WordPress.com, they're hosting your blog. They have it. It's a little bit more limited because they're hosting your blog. And if you have WordPress.org, that is your own. So what I ended up doing is playing around with the WordPress.org, which they say is like super, like they tout that it's super easy to install. I think it's like a five-minute install. And that's actually if you're installing it yourself. Most hosts have one button that you click and it just installs it. And that's the way that I usually do it now. I actually have tutorials I'm going to point you to a little bit, and I show you exactly how to do that. But basically, it's just one click and you have a WordPress website. So with IamDan.com, that's what I did. I took down the little page with just my face and the, the I am Dan or whatever words I had underneath it. And I replaced it with a WordPress blog. I did continue having the stickers and putting those up everywhere, much to the uh, glee of myself and my friends. But the website was now becoming a blog. And I had... Uh, a WordPress install. I didn't really know what I was doing. There were things like categories and tags, and I had no idea what the difference is between them. And there were pages and posts I had to learn. And I actually created a tutorial that teaches you the difference between all those in detail, and I show you. So I highly suggest, I'm going to put the link in the show notes. If you do want to do any of this stuff, I have tutorials. It's free, completely free. You can follow along and do it. Um, so I'll point you to that. But So I, I started kind of messing around, and it the the amazing thing, and this is what I tell anybody who is going to or who wants to start a website or isn't sure what they're going to do, is I tell them to go back, go to their favorite website that seems really big, and look at the very first posts. And I encourage you to go on to IamDan.com and go to the archives, go to the very first post, because I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I was writing like stories about wandering through New York City and seeing a crazy person on the subway. Um, for a long, long stint of time, I did this thing called Things I Love Thursday, where every Thursday I would post five things that I love that week and explain them. And it was really great. It was a good exercise to get me writing, but I had absolutely zero focus. And I would just kind of, I just kept creating content. And at first I like it, people asking me like how much I was uh, writing, like how often I was posting. And uh, during some parts, it was like every few months. It wasn't even a, a regular thing. But I, I tried as it kept going to be more and more regular. And I, I ended up writing a lot about what interested me and getting inspired by a lot of um, the link blogs. So when I say link blog, I'm thinking along the lines of like a daringfireball.net or a Marco, Marco Arment's blog, marco.org. Because what they do is uh, John Gruber of Daring Fireball kind of started this entire genre of blog where you blog not by writing really extensive content, but by linking to other interesting content and maybe saying some uh, commentary about that specific link. And you're creating kind of this story by what you're linking to. Now, after John Gruber and During Fireball kind of did that, it became overdone, so I didn't do that completely. But what I would do is whenever I saw something interesting in the news, like a story about uh, Amazon or Jeff Bezos or Apple, I would put in my two cents and just 
a lot of personality to be like, well, I think this is going to work, or I don't think this is going to work, or I think you should buy Facebook stock, which is what I said, and I that proved to be completely wrong. Um, but yeah, I just would post these random stuff. I even tried a stint uh, where I would post like three really, really short news stories a day. I just found like random interesting stuff just because I thought it would be fun to try that. And I was surprised that I... I got some traffic to it. Um, and there's a lot of little SEO tricks that I teach you in that tutorial too that will help the search engines eventually like find you. And so you can get that traffic organically. And when I say organically, that means coming from search rather than like sharing it on Twitter and clicking a link, a referral, that kind of thing. Organic is when somebody finds you in the search engines, which is the best type of traffic because it takes zero work. So I ended up doing that. And one of the things I wrote about that kind of got me the most amount of attention during that time is, uh, and you can actually find this on my blog, I'll link to it too, is I have a little magnet implanted in my pinky finger. And now I know a lot of you, if you haven't seen that actual article, you're probably like, what? That is insane. And that is actually the... Uh, response that I get most of the time. People are like, why Why are you doing this? Why did you put a magnet in your finger? Because I paid somebody to put a little magnet encoded in silicone in my finger. And the the reason why is because I can feel magnetic fields. I can like sense the world around me. So electrical outlets, I can feel the buzz, like uh, fans inside computers. Uh, as I'm checking out at a, che- uh, a register, some of them have the little Uh, sensor removers that are magnetic and I can feel those pulsating and it was just a really kind of intriguing way to experience the world around me and I ended up writing this really long blog post explaining it just because so many people are interested in the topic they don't understand it and I, I wanted to kind of explain what it was like because at that point I had had the implant for Ooh, I say in the article, I want to say like two years. I think it's been maybe like four or five years since I had this done. So I've had it for a very long time. So I wrote this as somebody who, it wasn't fresh because there's a lot of experience about people that just got it and they're so excited. I was like, what is it like to actually live with this? What are the reasons behind why I got it? And so I wrote that post and I shared it with uh, the website Hacker News, which some of you may know of. It is a kind of community it's like a smaller form of reddit but it's specialized to people that are entrepreneurs developers and these kind of creative tinkerers and thinkers and i i always try to share whatever i write and i tell everybody too whenever you create content share it with as many people as you can it just so happened that a lot of the content that i was producing was relevant to the hacker news community so i ended up sharing this article about my magnet implant with Hacker News, and it shot right up. I think it was at number two for a large portion of the day and got a ton of traffic. It was my highest trafficked single day for my blog. I think I hit about 20,000 views that day, and I was just, my mind was blown that I could actually get that much attention. And the next day, I get an email. Uh, or maybe it was even later that day, I get an email from an editor at Gizmodo, and he wanted to know if he had my permission to republish the piece about my magnet implant on their blog. And, of course, I was immediately like, yes, yes, definitely. You can definitely put my post on there. I want to get as much attention to this as I can. So they republished it there, and it got even way more attention. And that was... That was so exciting. Um, I remember because I was kind of looking at uh, journalism and kind of writing at that time because I was still working retail and I was doing this just because it was fun. But I I was dating my girlfriend then, now fiancé, and she used to work in editorial and she she knew that she had to get me out of retail. And I knew that I had to get out of retail. I just had to do it. And she was trying to help me. And she suggested, she was like, you should ask the guy if, if you could pitch him in the future. And so I was like, yeah, that is a good in. I know the guy at Gizmodo, the editor there. So I, I sent him an email and I was like, hey, do you mind if I pitch you in the future? And he was like, yeah, that would be great. And then I did nothing with that. So I, I'm telling you this because even if you don't follow through with things or you wait so long, it, it's not too late. It'll still work out. But I had that perfect opportunity and I totally did not take it. But the reason why I'm telling you about my story that was published on Gizmodo and about my blog that I've been working on for maybe about two years at that point is because they became really valuable tools 
when in a very short time later, I started looking for and applying to a full-time writing gig. So my fiance actually found the listing for me. I didn't even find it. It was on a website called Media Bistro, which is kind of for journalists and for jobs and like a really like industry known website. So she found the listing uh, for the job at Laptop Magazine and she told me to apply. And I was like, am I really ready for that? And I wasn't even sure. So I kind of put in the application and it it was actually really great because I was able to say that I had been running a blog for two years. I was able to say I had been published on Gizmodo. Uh, and I think I had a few other... Uh, I, there was a Forbes article that had linked to something that I wrote, which was the very first thing. So I was able to call attention to that. And I was able to, uh, just because of the things I'd written on my blog, I went onto the Laptop Magazine website. I saw that they had written about this app, and I had also written a little short thing about that app. And I was like, and I wrote about this too. I would like the job. And so I, I was very surprised when I got the interview and they called me in. And so I, I go in there and I'm sitting in for the interview with the editor-in-chief and uh, another editor and they're talking to me, and it's going well because I, I know technology um, just because it's, it's an interest to me, and I definitely think that you should do things that you're interested in. And I remember at one point during the interview, uh, the editor-in-chief like stops, and he looks at me, and he says, hey, you know this isn't an entry-level position, right? And I just looked at him, and I was terrified, but I just looked at him, and I was like, yes, I know. And uh, it, I was like, oh, no, he's on to me. I, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. But sure enough, I ended up getting the job and able to uh, jump right into it and ended up starting to write. And I started the job in journalism from there. And so that that's kind of why I tell people that you should start a blog. Now, of course, it's relevant to me because... I was writing on my blog and then I wanted a writing job. And so I was able to make that transition. But having your your own blog is about way, way, way more than that. And I'm going to get into that very soon and tell you why you would want to as well as how to do it. But I kind of want to tell you a uh, concurrent story that was happening at that same time that's also part of my journey and has also led me to where I am today with Novice No Longer and all of my mobile applications because that is completely separate from the English and creative writing and journalism and that whole route and story that I told you about. So concurrent to working retail and randomly writing in this blog, maybe... I don't know, like every few months, I had learned that a friend of mine had an iPhone app. And this is when I had just got my iPhone. I forget what year it is. It was when the iPhone 3GS came out. So whenever that was a few years ago, uh, I learned that a friend of mine had an iPhone app. And it it just kind of clicked to me that, hey, people like me can create iPhone apps. I had never actually like thought about that or realized that was something that like was tangible that I could actually go out there and do it. So I decided I didn't know what I wanted to code. I didn't have an idea or anything, but I decided I wanted an iPhone app. So I did what anybody who wants to learn how to code or what I guess some people do that want to learn how to code. They don't know where to start is they Google how to code iPhone apps and they find out that you need to do a programming language called Objective-C. And so they try to learn Objective-C. So that's what I decided to do. And so I found out that it was Objective-C and I downloaded a book that was on Objective-C. I got through the first chapter. I was totally fine. I was like, oh, great. I got this. Got into the second chapter right over my head. I I understood none of it. I understood nothing. So I was like, okay, well, maybe that source is bad. It had mentioned something about having prior programming experience. And I I know that I had done some HTML, some a little stuff like that. So I was like, okay, well, how hard can it be? But uh, I just went right over my head. And so I tried uh, a different book and had the exact same experience. And then I tried 
a Linda course, a video course online, and I could not follow it at all. I would just get lost. I even enrolled in a class at NYU, just like auditing the class that I ended up dropping just because, like I said, I didn't understand it. It just didn't make any sense. And it was really frustrating. And I kind of did all of this coding and learning. I even tried, I was like, okay, well, it said prior programming experience required. Maybe I should learn another programming language and then go back into it. So I started taking a thing on like PHP and I was trying to do that for a little while. And then there was Michael Hart uh, Ruby on Rails tutorial, which is amazing if you want to make web apps. And I'll link to that one too. But I was trying a bunch of different programming languages and just completely failing with it. And at the same time, I was reading a lot and I was tackling a top 100 books list. And so I had an idea for an app that I wanted to make. And this was an iPhone app that just tracked all of the books that you read. So once you read a book, you enter it in, and then you can like see when you read it and who the author was and remember all the books that you read. And there was one that existed in the App Store, but it, it wasn't very good. And I was like, okay, well, I can make something better. And this is also something that's a really, really simple idea. And I knew and I had read that the best way to learn how to code was to have a project something that you're working on that you really want to see made. And that will help you learn how to code because you'll be working on making the app that you want. So I was like, okay, well, I am going to learn how to code by making this app that tracks all the books that I read. So as I was kind of hitting this wall with programming, I was thinking about this reader tracker app. And the more I thought about the app, the more kind of features and ideas came to me. So when I would have an idea and I just write it down and then I I'd try to code again and then I have another idea and then I write it down. I kind of, this entire app was kind of forming together in my head. And as I was getting farther along in coding and I wasn't understanding it completely, but as I was understanding it more, I realized that coding is really only the very last step for making an iPhone app. Once you have a fully formed idea, that's when you go in with the code. If you try to like have a half formed idea and then start like working it through your way with code, it doesn't really work. Like with a story, I can kind of jump into a creative writing story and kind of start building a character and then go back to the beginning and fill things in and do that. But Code is a little bit different in that it's so, so, so much easier if you have an idea of what things are going to look like or what you need to do before you kind of dive in. And that's not an absolute. And there's certain things that you do do with code that you can kind of like coding is like a puzzle. So you definitely have to just jump in and kind of figure it out as you go along. But you have to know what you're trying to accomplish and work towards. You can't kind of just go in and not really know what you want the end result to be. So as I was doing this, I kind of worked out the idea for the app and I ended up kind of putting all my ideas onto paper, doing mock-ups and wireframes and going out and finding a freelance developer. Actually, Planet1107, my sponsor, who I mentioned at the very beginning, I found him and uh, Goran is his name and he agreed to make my mobile application. And so I sent him all over all the stuff that I had created, all the wireframes, the mock-ups, that kind of stuff. And within 10 hours of development work, not much at all, he sent me back a finished app. And I had my very first mobile application. I had it in my hands. I remember that I, I downloaded the attachment. I went home and I was, I was sitting at my computer. I had just poured myself a glass of whiskey because I was celebrating. I was excited. I just bought the Apple developer account because you need to pay. If you want to sell an app in the app store for iOS, you need to pay uh, $99 per year is what they charge. And you can have as many apps as you want, but the developer account and the privilege to do that is $99. So bought my $99 developer account. I had the uh, IPK file, which is uh, the uh, file for your iOS application. I was like, okay, I am going to upload it. And so I, I tried to figure out that and I went to the developer.apple.com and I was like, okay, well, you got to do it here. And then I was like, no. And then I was like, okay, well, it's iTunesConnect.apple.com. And so I went there and I was like, 
oh, I need to fill in all this information and sign all these contracts. So I signed all the contracts and my whiskey is getting lower as I'm sipping it. And then I, I get in there like, okay, well, I got to do the description for the app. So I got to like write out the description. Of course, you got to do that. And I got to take the screenshots. So I took all the screenshots. I had to check off all the boxes for like what permission, uh, permissions it has, like what age group it's targeted for, if it has any violence in it, like any curse words. And I was like, no, 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 it doesn't have any of that. So I'm getting through all these boxes and there's just pages and pages of things that I have to fill out. And I get to the page, and I'm like, okay, it's ready for upload. And then I was like, okay, well, where do I upload it? There was no place to upload it. I just wanted to upload it. And then I was like, okay, well, you can't do that. You have to do it directly from Xcode. And then in order to do that, you have to do certain certificates and you got to install different places and on your computer and on your phone. And I was trying to do it and I was so absolutely lost. And I ended up finishing my whiskey and not being able to upload it just because it was so complicated. So what I was able to do is find a friend of mine who was an iOS developer. And I was able to sit down with him and he took about five minutes and was able to upload it for me. And I looked over his shoulder and it was really complicated and I've tried to do it since and I still, still, still cannot do it. Um, it's really complicated. So what I recommend for anybody here, if you're getting your first mobile app, either talk to your developer and see if they can upload it for you to the Apple store. That is actually what I do with Planet 1107 now. He is uploading the updates to my two applications, and he also uploaded WorkBurst, which is my OS X application that I wrote about on my blog. Um, So that's what I highly recommend now. If you do have the final file and your developer is not uploading it, I would highly recommend going on Craigslist or some other service and finding somebody and be like, hey, I'll pay you a few bucks or I'll buy you a few beers if you just help me upload it. Because if somebody is an iOS developer and they've done this before, it's pretty self, well, not self-explanatory, but they know what they're doing versus uh, myself as somebody who is, I guess, technologically literate, but this stuff went completely over my head. So that's what I would definitely recommend. So... With my friend, too, I was able to talk to him and have him change the app slightly into Watcher Tracker. So instead of tracking the books that you read, uh, it tracks the movies that you watch. So I had him do that and then upload that. So I was able to repurpose this one application that I built into two separate apps and get those out there. And so that was also very exciting. And it, it was funny because during that time that I was making those applications, it didn't feel like I was like being a quote-unquote entrepreneur or I was doing stuff or I I was like being productive, I I guess. It was just kind of like, this is interesting. I want to do this. And it it was only afterwards and even like weeks afterwards that I, I kind of thought to myself that, hey, I have two apps in the app store. That means that, uh, I mean, not an app developer, but I'm somebody that has apps, you know? And I could start telling people that I have apps and that that was that became a part of my identity and it was a, that kind of realization to me and that and the blog uh, really made me realize that these little things that you're doing the little actions that you're creating if you're if you're doing work for yourself they're they're things that become you and you can tell people that you did like it didn't feel during the the 2 years that I was working at I, working on and writing for imdan.com it didn't feel like I was running a website I was just writing randomly but when I sat down at laptop magazine to apply for that job I could say that I had a website for 2 years which sounds way more impressive than it felt when I was actually doing it. And the same with having my two mobile apps because I kind of just like sketched out some ideas and solidified my thoughts onto paper and then I threw somebody some money who turned it into code and it didn't feel like I was being a developer or what I thought developers were or did or when I saw other applications that didn't feel like me. But suddenly I was a person that had mobile apps and That was also very helpful that I was able to go to Laptop Magazine when I had those because that was just another part of my portfolio that I could say, hey, and I have two mobile applications because it shows that I understand tech and that I actually just have a personal passion for it. So these little projects that you're doing at the time, they might just feel like little hobbies or little things, but what you do becomes kind of like your identity and who you are. And and that's so like cliche to say but that 
the money that I spent on the mobile application, I could have spent that at a bar, depending on what bar you, you go to or how crazy you get. I, I had friends when I was working retail who would spend that same amount of money on a weekend because they just went out drinking all night, you know? And instead of doing that, I ended up spending my money here and, and I still have those applications. It's still things that you know, that you own. It's investing in assets. And one really important thing that I, I keep in mind and that I always tell other people to keep in mind too is it actually came from the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which has a bunch of problems in and of itself, but there, there's one concept that really, really stuck with me in terms of that book. And it, he encourages the reader at any single point in time to ask yourself the question, when you're doing work, who is benefiting from this work? Like, who is making money from this? And most of the time, for most of the things you do, it's going to be your company. It's going to be your boss. But it's very important, uh, even if you're not an entrepreneur or working for yourself yet to also do work that benefits you and doing things like creating assets like a website or an app or you can do kindle books or there there are so many different things that you can get that they might not earn you very much money but they're they're assets that you have rather than something that disappears like food or drink or or any of these other possessions that don't really like do you much good over time but so investing in yourself in terms of a website, in terms of apps, in terms of anything is just a solid idea because even if you have an app that just bombs, it doesn't make you any money, it doesn't, it's not successful at all, you can say that you created an application and that's going to go a really long way in terms of looking for jobs in the future if, if you still choose the career path or working on other projects, having the experience there, even if it doesn't feel like you, you've done the experience or you feel like you're faking it because you just kind of kind of faked your way along in your app so you can't really say what you're doing. Like You have more experience than somebody who has just not done any of that. And, and it's really, really valuable. And that's really what I encourage people to do. And that's kind of my story and how I got to where I am today. And my story is even continuing. I think, let's see, today is, oh, wow. I See, I'm really late with this podcast. It is Wednesday right now, June 4th, and this is publishing tomorrow, June 5th. So usually I like to be way ahead of this, but I am not right now. But on June 12th, which might be now if you're listening to this late, uh, I'm launching a startup. I'm co-founding a startup called Trip Expert, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that next week. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that on my blog. It is a website for booking hotels and it is amazing. And it's been so long in the works. And this is like my, my finale. This is like what I've been building up for. And I'm, I'm super, super excited to introduce it to the world and to show it to all of you. And yeah, so I'm going to get into that next week, but it's continuing, but to get to where I was today and get to the job in tech journalism, um, you really want to start creating content and creating assets and really building yourself up and your online identity. So that's a little bit more about my background and how I got to where I was. And now I'm going to talk to you a little bit about how to start your own blog and what you want to be doing and why you want to be doing that. I had mentioned briefly when I talked about WordPress, the difference between WordPress.com and WordPress.org. And one of the things that I had said is that WordPress.org is the application that you install on your own hosting servers. So if you're doing WordPress.org, you need your own domain name and you need hosting. Now, these are two things that, if they're unfamiliar to you, can be a little bit complicated, especially the concept of each of them. So I'm going to explain a little bit about what those are and how to get them. So the very first thing is a domain name, and that is a URL. So that is novicenolonger.com, or that is iamdan.com, or that is whatever website you're thinking of, yourname.com, or it could be wordpress.com. Those are all domain names. Now, there's only obviously a finite number of domain names, and if something's already registered, you can't go buy it because somebody else already owns it. Now, domain names are something that you can buy, but simply because you buy a domain name does not mean you can have a website. So if you go out and you buy yourname.com, 
that's very nice for you, but you can't actually do anything with it. You can like get a Tumblr blog and you can point that Tumblr blog to your domain name, but you can't actually like install your own web applications, do your own hosting stuff or kind of like have your own kind of website. You can have other people's websites that point to that domain name, if that makes sense. Now, because of this, domain names are actually pretty cheap. If you're looking at it, you're looking at probably about 10 to $11 per year. So really inexpensive. And usually the very first time that you register for something, you can find a coupon online. A lot of people know GoDaddy. I don't really like GoDaddy that much for domain names. Um, and some of my hosting, I do Namecheap.com, which is pretty fantastic. I just discovered recently Bluehost, which is who I used in my tutorial that is in this uh, blog post. If you go back to my blog about how to start your own blog, because Bluehost is super easy, especially if you're doing hosting as well, because they give you the domain name for free. And in the tutorial, I'll show you how to do that. But basically, if you want just a domain name, that's 10 bucks a year and People can, you might hear people like squatting on names. So somebody wants to start a startup, they think of the perfect name, and they go to see if their name is registered, and alas, somebody already has it. But they're not doing anything with it. And you're like, okay, well, you own this domain name, but I go there and I just see a little GoDaddy's splash page with ads, so obviously you're not using it. I want to use it. Can I have it? Then you have to go to that person and be like, hey, I want to buy this domain name. They're like, well, that's tough. I'll sell it to you, but I want $10,000 or whatever they say, depending on the domain name. So if somebody's squatting on a domain name, they can do that. And all they're paying is $10 a year. And they're getting that lovely, lovely low price simply because they were the first person to register it or they registered it when it wasn't registered before. And now you are screwed because you can't have it. And yeah, that, that's how it works. And that, that's why domain names are kind of frustrating sometimes. And you have to think of something that hasn't been registered yet. But completely separate from that is hosting. Hosting is having a server which has all your website on it and that's serving it and it's constantly connected to the web. And whenever somebody wants to see your website, they are requesting all that data from a server. Now, the best way to think of a server is in most basic terms, obviously this isn't exact, is it's kind of like a computer, just like the one in front of you. But instead of having an interface where you can like install applications, like applications like we know, like Word or Chrome or any of these, what it does is it runs a special set of software that's connected to the internet at all times and simply gives people your website when people want to go to it. So what actually happens when you're visiting a domain name? So if you go to novicenolonger.com, novicenolonger.com is obviously my domain name. And I have set that up to point to a certain uh, IP address that is my host. So when you go to novicenolonger.com, it still shows up as novicenolonger in your URL bar, but that's really post uh basically looking for an IP address. And that IP address is a computer. That computer is the server that's hosting my website. And that server gets that request. Then they return all of the data of my blog. And that's basically how it works. So it's separate from your domain name is your hosting. And like I said earlier, if you do it, if you're using wordpress.com or Tumblr or any of these other blogging platforms, you don't need to worry about any of this because WordPress is the host and they are giving you your URL and it's all in one package and it's free and it's great. And you can do that as long as you don't mind having your name.wordpress.com or your name.tumblr.com. If you want to have a domain name, which is a step up, you can buy a domain name and then point that host to your domain name, or you can get a domain name and hosting and then do it all of yourself. So that's basically how that works. I highly recommend that as you're creating content, you do get your own domain name uh, for a couple of reasons. The first is because it's a nice asset to have. And I definitely think that everybody out there should go out there and buy their name.com just because you might want it someday. And if you don't buy it now, it'll probably be gone. And in fact, it might be gone right now. And just like my, my name, if you actually want danielberg.com, which is my full name is Daniel. If you go to danielberg.com, it is a pilot. And it is a pilot with a very, very old website that has not been updated in years and years and years. And he 
will not respond to any of my emails. And I stalked him and found him on LinkedIn. I think he's in Sweden. Found him on LinkedIn and I sent him a LinkedIn message and I know he looked at it, but he did not not respond to me. And I, I want that domain name and I cannot have it. And Dan Berg with two N's, just Dan Berg, I think means like mountain in Germany. So that's already registered and I, I can't get my hands on that, which is why I have Dan Dash Berg uh, as my email address and uh, one of my domains. Um, but I highly recommend that if you can, you go out and get that domain because like I said, it'll be a good asset. And two, it just looks more professional. If you have your own domain name, you can do things like have email address. Like my email address is dan at dan-berg.com, which makes me feel happy because it's not like a Gmail. It makes me, it makes me feel more like I'm technologically advanced. And if I give out my email to somebody, it's something that they can see that too and know that I have my own domain name. So I highly recommend it, and that's super, super, super easy to set up, even with Gmail, which I definitely recommend you should be using as well. So snap up your domain name, get hosting, and then one of the very first things and the easiest thing that you can do is install WordPress. Now, WordPress is what's known as a content management system, and basically all that means is it is a nice way to manage and display content and content being whatever you see on your website. So that is a combination of posts. It's a combination of pages, a little content in the form of widgets. You got a footer, you got pictures, all of that. Uh, A content management system is a way to display all that. And WordPress powers a vast majority of websites online today. And you'd actually be surprised the number of big professional blogs that are all based on WordPress. And fortunately for us, it's a really, really, really powerful platform with a low barrier of entry. There is a little bit of a learning curve. Like you got to learn the difference between pages and posts and categories and tags, which I go over in my tutorial. But once you kind of have those basic content, uh, those basic tenants down, you can really get in there and start making content and publishing it very easily and very pretty. Now, once you have this blog, there are a few things that you should immediately do with your WordPress install as well as continue to do as you are kind of blogging and creating content. And in part two of the tutorial, it's the longest video on there. It's like 18 minutes. I show you exactly what I do during every single fresh WordPress install. And I'm going to tell you what that is, but if you want to see me do it, go to there. Um, The very first thing is going to be change your permalinks. Permalinks is basically the structure of your URL. So it might be novicenolonger.com slash 2014 slash five slash five slash the name of whatever post it is. And that would be the way to put the date in there. And there's a few different structures that you can do. The default for WordPress is this ugly one that nobody should ever use and is really, really bad for SEO, which stands for search engine optimization. It's like whatever your domain name is, then question mark equals, and then whatever number the the database has assigned to your post. So that is really, really bad form to have. So the very first thing you want to do is go in there and change the permalink structure. The next thing you should do is install some SEO blogs. And like I said, search, search engine optimization. So what that means is you're setting up the content of your blog to be most easily readable by both humans and computers. And I say both humans and computers is because computers are getting smart enough now that you're no longer tailoring content to computers per se. Computers are paying attention to make sure you're writing content for people. Now, obviously, there's certain ways to optimize that. So if you understand the wording that people are using to search for content, then if you use that wording, you're going to be more effective. But doing things like keyword stuffing or doing like tactics in terms of like links or trying to do all that kind of stuff is actually really bad and is actually going to harm you. There's a fantastic uh, podcast in here with John DeFeo, who is just a brilliant SEO expert. And I have him on here and he talks about that. So if you want to learn more about SEO and dive a little deeper in there, I highly recommend you do it. But I use the plugin for WordPress all-in-one SEO. What that allows me to do is two things, very, very simple things. The first is settings for the entire blog. 
I'm able to optimize the title of my blog as well as the meta description. And the meta description basically means if you're viewing the search results in Google, it always shows the title and then a little description under it. That's the meta description. And either Google either uses the meta description or an excerpt from the website. But you want to make sure that the meta description explains what your website is, use some, uses some of the keywords that describe your website, what people are searching for. And that way, both people and the computers know what your website is. It also adjusts some of the structure of your URLs. So instead of just page names or post names, it tacks on the name of your blog to the end in terms of the word uh, or the page title, which is just another thing that's important for branding as well as for search engine optimization. So that's what it does for the full blog. The other thing that All-in-One SEO does is it adds a little section to every single uh, blog post. You can write an optimized both title and description for that specific blog post, as well as use meta keywords, which aren't really used that much anymore, but you still want to fill those out. So it gives you ultimate control over that. And the reason why this is important is because when you're creating a post on your blog, you can title it basically something simple, maybe like nine things to help you live a better life. But that they had the context of your website, so just calling it that on your website is good. But in search engines, you want to expand on that a little bit. So like nine tricks you can do in the morning to improve your life or something. That's, that's a really bad example. But basically, you can expand on the idea up to 60 characters in your description for search engines while keeping it trundicated on your actual blog. Or trundicated, truncated on your actual blog which is very helpful to be able to expand your thoughts in order to help people that are searching for content find you better. Another thing that you can get set up with your blog is content caching. And that basically means it's complicated. So it basically means that if you get a huge, huge amount of traffic, your website is not going to crash. Now, obviously that's only limited to a certain amount of traffic, but I would say that it helps tremendously. I had uh, a cache plugin on imdan.com and that day that I got the 20,000 views, if I did not have that enabled, my website would have crashed and I would have lost the benefit of all of those readers. And who knows, I, I might not even been seen by Gizmodo or even gotten that far, you know? So you definitely should install uh, one of those a caching plugin and I'll show you how to do that in the video, but get that installed. Um, only enable it once you're finished setting up your website because it has the side effect where every time you make a change on your website, it's not going to show up until you clear the cache. So keep it disabled while you're working on your blog. And then once you actually just start writing regular content, you don't need to flush it every time you write a new blog post, but every time you kind of change a page or, uh, install a plugin or uh, manage your widgets, you're going to have to clear that. And that becomes really annoying. So make sure you got everything set up and all you have to do left is create blog content and then you will be totally fine with that plugin. Now, the last and final thing I want to talk about is what type of content you should be producing. And I get this question a lot, uh, even from people who want to be journalists, that they, they want to write for a living, and they want to start their blog, but they're not sure what they should write about. And I always tell people, just write about what you're interested in. And the main reasons, the main reason that you want to be creating content is because you want to have control of your online identity and how you look online. And I remember even just a few short years ago, there was outrage that Something that you post on Facebook might be seen by your potential boss or by something like this. And people were like, this is an invasion of privacy. And, and these days, it's kind of a given where it's common sense where don't post anything online that you wouldn't want seen by uh, everybody that you know. And, and people kind of have come to accept this fact. Now, I look at this not as something that's a negative where it's like, oh, I can't really do anything. My, my freedom has been taken away. But Really, this is a benefit because you have the power to shape how you look online and how other people view you. And the 
easiest way to do that is to create content. And the other reason why you want to do this is because if you are not creating that content yourself, other people are going to create that content for you. And there's horror stories where people have been applying for a job and their boss ends up Googling their name or they're applying for a job and they go in, the interview goes well and they don't get the job. They go in for another one and it goes really well. They don't get the job and they don't understand what's happening until finally they go on Google and they Google their name and they realize that there is a, like a criminal who did like robbery and it has the exact same um, name as them. And this is the very first search result. And maybe they're even the same age and they are completely screwed because they're trying to get this job and people are Googling their name and thinking that this person is the robber and, and they are totally not. So if you are not creating content, other people are going to tell that story for you. And that that might not even be criminals. It just could be somebody else that has your same name that is taking over the search results. And over time, you can stop that. And so, like I said, what I did with my blog for a very long time is every single week, I, week I would just write things I love Thursday. And it would be five things that I love. And pretty soon, when you Googled my name, or you Googled even those individual things that I loved, uh, you would find that content. And I was able to get that towards the top of the search results. Uh, another thing that you want to do with your blog, and I learned this way too late, but it'll come in handy. And I actually wrote a blog post about this recently too, is every single image on your website, give it an alt uh, tag, like describe it. So when you're posting an image, alt is... Uh, ALT, you can write basically what that image is. Now, it's not only part of the standard for HTML, meaning that it's required and you should do it. it. Not many people do it. So if you do, you're gonna definitely stand out. And what it allows is two things. One, it allows search engines to know what your picture is because Google is not actually like analyzing your picture to be like, oh, this is a picture of a kitten. Instead, they just see a JPEG. And if you don't describe it, they're not going to know what it is. So you should do two things is make sure the file name is named correctly and you're using an alt tag because the alt tag is also used by people who use accessibility features on the web or who need help. So if somebody is blind and they can't see pictures and they want to know what your picture is, having that little alt tag there is very, very helpful. And that's part of why it's required by the web. But like I said, even though it's required doesn't mean that other people use it. But the reason why this is helpful for you is because it is very, very difficult to get to the front page of Google for popular search terms. If you're trying to get there, it's going to take a lot of work. But it's not that hard to get to the front for pictures. And it's actually quite easy. If you have a picture, you name it properly, and it's something that people look at a lot, people do image search all the time, and that is surprisingly a big refer to websites. So... Post pictures, post pictures of your vacation, post pictures of what you're doing, post your thoughts. If you follow the news, if you follow technology, if just like the, the WWDC just happened and Apple announced the new operating system, Yosemite, it announced iOS 8 and except, uh, announced the new programming language, Swift, which is awesome. I'm so excited for Go on there and post that. Be like, hey, this is why I think it's great. Or this is why I think that this was an absolute uh, disaster and they should have announced uh, a watch. Like, share your thoughts. If you see an interesting post or uh, something on the web, uh, copy a paragraph from it. Include that in there as a quote. Link back to the original. And then put in your two thoughts, a paragraph or two. It could be something really, really simple like that. Think of it as kind of like your extended status update that you would do for like Twitter or Facebook. Um, but yeah, just anything that you read, kind of add different blogs to an RSS reader and just start creating content because it's going to allow people to have more insight into who you are. It's going to build you up as, as a person. So if you're applying for a job and you can put your website on there and people can go like, hey, this person is actually an intelligent person. They, they're interested in stuff that I'm interested in and they kind of see you as a person rather than just a name on a piece of paper or a list of uh, previous experience because 
everybody is a resume. Everybody is that little cover letter. There's only so much that you can say. If you're creating content, even if you're not going for a writing job, if, if you're in uh, advertising, if you're in marketing, if you're in accounting, you're, you're constantly learning. There are different things you can do, and you have an opinion on them just because you're a human. If you write that, you can become a leading authority in that category, and especially especially for categories that are not writing because not many people are doing that. That gives you a big opportunity to grow and expand and really stand out from the competition in that category. So what you should be doing is creating your own blog and then creating content for that blog. And don't worry if you don't post like every day, every week. Try to, I would say try to get there like at least every other week if you can. Every week is great. And I mean, if you do that for a year, you're going to have 52 pieces of content on there that are pieces of you, that, that express who you are, that get you out there, that start building your identity online. And that's something that if you do it right, can follow you wherever you go. And it's going to just hide anything on the web that you don't want people to see or you don't want there. And it's just going to serve you so much better. So I hope this has given you a little bit of insight into my story and how I got to where I am, as well as giving you some, uh, hopefully motivation or inspiration to start your own blog or really get going with this because it's such a low barrier of entry thing such a low amount of work that just has huge, huge benefits down the line. And like I was saying before, I have a tutorial. It's not complete yet. I only have the first four sections up, which I believe it's, okay, how to get the hosting and uh, WordPress installed through Bluehost in six minutes. Literally, the video is six minutes and 30 seconds just because I have a little bit of an intro and an outro linking to my next video. So it's super short. And then I tell you uh, the things that I do with every fresh WordPress install. That one's like 18 pages or 18 pages, 18 minutes. And then I talk about posts versus pages and how to post uh posts and pages that I'm going to get into more into categories and tags and all the other stuff you need to know, but I haven't gotten there yet. So definitely check that out. It's free. I'm linking to it here. I'm putting it on the blog and yeah, until next week, I I hope that was helpful for you. Well, hopefully that wasn't too boring hearing me talk the entire time. It was definitely weird for me. I don't talk that much. If you've enjoyed this, go onto iTunes, leave a rating, leave a review, and I will talk to you guys all next week.